Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. We are continuing with part two of a message Pastor Roy started last week called Warning Against False Teachers from 1 Timothy. This series is all about training ourselves for godliness. We encourage you to open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy and follow along with Pastor Roy. just do a little recap uh, because several of you were not here uh, last week. Uh, The title of the series is Training Myself for Godliness. And we looked at a verse, um, 1 Timothy 4, 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. So this comes right out of the book of 1 Timothy and that's where we get our theme for this. And today we are continuing on with part two about a warning against false teachers. False teachers, the church had only been in existence about 35 years. These false teachers come in. And I say when they come in, they were actually inside the church. Probably elders, leaders in the church who began to teach a false doctrine. So it's a reminder to us how we have to stick to the purity of sound doctrine in our teaching. And make sure that everything we say comes out of the Bible. Uh, interestingly enough, when we get to 1 Timothy chapter 3, what does Paul address Timothy about? Elders and deacons, leaders in the church. He talks about qualifications for those positions. He does not talk about a job description. He talks more about character. Why? Because these false teachers who were leaders in the church did not have the character that they should have had to be in leadership in the church. And so He addresses that. And we will look at that when we get to chapter 3. But this idea of training ourselves to be godly. We talked about train myself to distinguish good from evil. That sounds simple, except today, when we looked at Isaiah 5.20, people are calling evil good and good evil. They can't even distinguish right from wrong. And we have to do that if we're going to be godly. We have to train ourselves to distinguish good from evil. Also, solid food is the word of righteousness. It is the word of God. This is why even we pressed upon uh, the children who are being dedicated today, the parents, that they teach their children God's word. That's how they're going to discern right from wrong and good from evil. Last week, we talked about Paul's identity as an apostle, that he had the authority to dispense his wisdom to Timothy. Timothy also then had the authority to go and rebuke these false teachers within the church. He was not taking the authority upon himself. He was delegated authority from the Apostle Paul who was called by God and Timothy as well, called by God. Timothy, we saw the investment that Paul gave to Timothy. He said he was a true son in the faith. He was not a false teacher. He was a true son in the faith. And we looked at four characteristics of a true son in the faith. Number one, saving faith. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? That, has, that doesn't talk about church attendance. It doesn't talk about giving to the church or helping the poor or singing on the praise team or even preaching a sermon. It's saving faith that I recognize I'm a sinner and Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin and I put my faith and trust in him. We sang about grace that is greater than all our sin. 
Without the grace of God in our lives, we are all doomed to perish, saving faith. Secondly, godly character, that we need to have a godly character that lines up with Scripture, that my example, my character, whether I'm alone or I'm with a group of people, my character does not change. Young people, that's a reminder, isn't it? When parents aren't around, when school teachers aren't around, when the Sunday school teacher's not around, that my character does not change when I'm by myself. It's who I am before God. Thirdly, a teachable spirit, that I am willing to learn. Children learning from their parents, learning from those in authority, that I have a teachable spirit. Timothy had an incredible teachable spirit. He was willing to do whatever was necessary to advance the gospel. Are we willing to do that? Fourthly, doctrinally grounded that we know the truth, we know what we believe and why we believe it. We can give an answer to everyone who asks a reason for the hope within us. We are doctrinally grounded. That will protect us from false teaching in the church. And then thirdly, instruction. We saw that it was a charge that was given to Timothy. This charge was a military term which meant to direct somebody to do something with authority. In other words, Timothy wasn't coming to the false teacher saying, you know what, I have a suggestion for you. I'm going to suggest that you don't do this. I'm just going to ask you in a meek, mild way. No, he came with the authority of God and said, you cannot do this. You are perverting the gospel. You are damaging the message of Christ. And as a result, some people had shipwrecked their faith as a result of this false teaching. There were myths and endless genealogies that were being taught. We looked at three modern myths last week, and we won't have time to go through those today, but you can get the, the message online and look at that. Now we're going to move on today. The warning against these false teachers. Now, why was Paul telling Timothy to warn these false teachers? Because He wanted everybody in the church to embrace a sound doctrine, to be doctrinally grounded. Why is it important to be doctrinally grounded? Three things. Sound doctrine produces these three things. A pure heart. That's what we're going to see in verse 5. A good conscience. And thirdly, a sincere faith. That's why we need sound doctrine. Think about what would happen in our culture if everybody possessed a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. The jails and prisons would be empty. Wouldn't they? They absolutely would. Why are people in prison said they have an injured heart? That God has not healed. That the Spirit of God has not cured. And that's what needs to happen. So here, as we look at this, we see the desire of true teachers. The desire of true teachers. We see this down in verse 5. Let's look at it together. The goal of this command that Paul is giving to Timothy for Timothy to give to these leaders is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's what we need, love from a pure heart. So here is the question. How, how do we keep pure hearts in a world full of evil and wickedness? I'm going to give you four answers to that that are essential. They sound like ABCs, but they're absolutely essential. 
The first one is by applying the truth of God's word to our lives. James said, don't be just a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. For instance, our message last week, we said, everybody should have a Timothy, a mentor. If you have been in the faith very long, you should be passing on your faith, not only to your children, but you should be having somebody else in the church that you are investing in, passing on the faith to somebody else. Who is it? Could you write their name down, and what are you doing to invest in them personally? That is applying the truth of Scripture. And if we neglect to do that, we are neglecting God's word. No wonder the church isn't growing. No wonder the church isn't vibrant and healthy and doctrinally grounded. There are other people who need to be doctrinally grounded. You who have the truth need to pass it on. Me, I need to pass it on. Applying God's word, not just being a hearer. Why? Because, you see, how do we keep pure hearts? Why do we need pure hearts? Because all our problems of sin begin in the heart. A number of years ago, when we lived in Virginia, we had a tree in our front, we had several trees in our front yard we had cut down. One of the pastors on staff, Pastor Keith, he came over to the house and he had a chainsaw. I don't do chainsaws. And he began slicing through these trees And he cut one tree down, and then he was cutting it in big chunks as he was going through this trunk. And as he was cutting through one of them, he cut right through, and the tree was hollow. And inside the trunk of the tree was a black snake. I mean, it was a big, long black snake. And I think he died with a smile on his face because his belly was full of birds. He found a bird's nest down inside that hollow tree, and I think he had a feast right before he was departing this earth. (laughs) That slithery serpent got inside that tree and killed innocent birds. That's exactly what Satan does to people's lives. See, we all look good on the outside, but Satan wants to get inside our hearts and cause damage. He wants to take innocent lives and destroy them. Here's what the Bible says. See, it's an inside job. For out of the heart come evil, what? Thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. That comes out of our heart. It's not the physical thing that pumps the blood. It's the the control center of our lives. It's what makes me who I am. It's what motivates me to do what I do. Paul is saying, or Timothy is saying, it is out of this. That's what the gospel writer is saying. He says, so we have to apply the truth of God's word to our lives. And the only way I can see that is for God to search my heart. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Sin will keep you from the Bible or the Bible will keep you from sin. That's what we need in our lives. 1 Peter 1.22, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And then he also says in 1 Peter 4.8, Above all, keep on loving each other earnestly since love does what? It covers a multitude of sins. See, if I have a pure heart, it keeps me from a multitude of sins. For instance, how can I exercise anger towards somebody if I love them? 
Can I continually exercise anger? No. You see, if I love them, I have to forgive them. Forgiveness comes from a loving heart. So I forgive, now I don't exercise anger toward them. I don't exercise envy and jealousy toward somebody else because I'm told to love them. That's applying God's word to my life. Oh, does thoughts of envy come up in my life? Yeah, probably once a day. (laughs) Maybe more. Jealousy. So, but I've got to come back and apply God's word to my heart to free me from that jealousy, that envy, that spirit that wants to destroy somebody. Applying God's word. Love chooses not to feed on thoughts of envy or jealousy. This love is not fully realized until it manifests itself in love toward others. Union with Christ, listen to this carefully, union with Christ results in love for others. If I say I'm in union with Christ, then I'm in love with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I have to be in love with them. And let me ask you this. Timothy is being told to tell these false teachers not to teach. He's telling Timothy they need to love out of a pure heart. What is more loving, to keep quiet and say nothing or to speak up when a Christian friend is not living according to the truth? Timothy, if you're going to love out of a pure heart, you've got to confront sin, and it's not easy. With a right spirit, a spirit of humility, Timothy, you need to do that. Secondly, how do we keep a heart pure? By allowing the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. The Holy Spirit comes in and he looks for hints and clues that we are desensitizing our heart toward God. In Psalm 139, he says, Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you know what this word means to search? It means to examine thoroughly, to look at every detail, every nook and cranny of somebody's heart to see if there's any evil way in me at all. And I can tell you, I know we got some bankers in our church. And I often know when it's bankers examining week when the bank examiners are coming because they say, could you pray for us? (laughs) The bank examiners are coming. What are they going to do? They're going to do a thorough search to look for financial integrity. What does the Holy Spirit do when we give him access to our hearts? He's looking for spiritual integrity in every one of our hearts. Those secret sins that nobody else knows about, he is searching out to say, you know what? You need to repent of that to keep a pure heart. You need to repent of that to keep a pure heart before me. It's vital that we have that. Allow the Holy Spirit to do that in our lives. Thirdly, how do we keep a pure heart? By choosing what is morally right. Choosing what is morally right. Notice what he says, love which comes from a pure heart and what? A good conscience. A good conscience will choose what is morally right. When I'm clicking on the internet, I'm going to choose what's morally right. When I'm with my friends, my words are going to be morally right. When I have to choose what kind of movie I'm going to watch, it's going to be morally right. Because I'm concerned about my relationship with God. You see, our conscience has been purified for what purpose? To worship, serve, and love God. 
That's what it's been purified to do. He says in Hebrews 13, 18, Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Do you have a clear conscience between you and everyone around you? Between you and God, is your conscience clear by choosing what is morally right? If my love for others is derived from a pure heart and a good conscience, it will enable me to confront someone with the right motives. And Timothy needed to do that. Fourthly, how do I keep a pure heart? By exercising a genuine faith. He goes on to say in our passage, a sincere faith. A sincere faith. A faith that does not need a mask. It is not a fake faith. It is genuine. It results in godly behavior. This godly behavior is a result of training myself to be godly. How do we get a godly community? How does Huron become a godly community? By having a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. When individuals in a community do that, you have a godly community. You have a godly church. And that's what Paul was desiring for Timothy and the church in Ephesus that Timothy was addressing. You also have a community that is doctrinally grounded when you have that. And a doctrinally grounded church and community has love for one another. See how it all comes together? It has love for one another. So this is the desire of true teachers. Now let's look at the danger of false teachers. He goes on to say in verse 6, Some have wandered away from these. A pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. They've wandered away from these and they've turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. So what is one of the characteristics of false teachers is they lead others astray. They begin to teach things that are not in the Bible. I think I've shared with you before that back in the 70s, some of you are old enough to remember this, Jonestown, Jim Jones he led that group of about 900 people to the jungles of Guyana. And they were following him. And they all drank cyanide poisoning. And after they went in and they came and they looked through the camp, they could not find one copy of the Bible. They were following a personality. They were following a person. We don't follow a personality. We follow God. And the person better be teaching God's word, God's gospel, and not lead somebody else astray. They use their influence to cause others to embrace a false doctrine. The challenge for us today is we may not see a false teacher coming through our town, but we may go to a movie that has false doctrine in it. We may listen to music that has false doctrine in it. We may listen to friends that are influencing us by their false doctrine. When he talks about leading others astray, he talks about the idea of swerving. Here's another passage in 1 Timothy 6.21. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. 
Grace be with you. The idea of swerving means to deviate in a spiritual sense. It means to miss the target, to be out of line with. They're focusing on the wrong goal because they're pointing at the wrong target. Here's what he says later in 1 Timothy. If anyone teaches a different doctrine than the gospel, the Bible, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And a lot of false teachers do it for the wrong reason, for their own personal gain. But notice what it says. They are puffed up with conceit. They are inflated with pride. To be inflated with pride is to be covered in a cloud of vapor so you cannot see clearly. And you're deceived about reality. This unhealthy craving for controversy, they have a sick longing for controversy. It's like they are not satisfied unless people are stirred up. And they want to do it with their words and cause division in the church. And that's why Paul told Timothy in the second letter in chapter 2, verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. They were ego-driven. They didn't do it out of a pure heart, out of concern for the church. They didn't do it from a good conscience. They didn't do it from a sincere faith. That's why they were false teachers. They were also self-appointed. They were ego-driven, and they were self-appointed. They were not called by God. Notice what it says here in verse 7. They want to be teachers of the law. Not like Paul told Timothy, go and rebuke these false teachers. Timothy was going on the authority of God from the authority of Paul. And these people were going in their own authority. They were not appointed by God. And that's dangerous. They were more concerned about teaching legalism and strict adherence to the Mosaic law. Let's go on in verse 8. Notice what it says, the demands of the law. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. They were not using it properly. But Paul says the law is good if you use it properly because it's for lawbreakers. That's what it's for. It's put in place for lawbreakers, a person who breaks legal restrictions to fulfill their own desires. And the demand, here's why the law is good. Because the demands of the law are written on our hearts. If you look up Romans 2.15, Paul says that very thing. That the law is written on our hearts. And when I violate my conscience, I feel guilty. Because I'm violating a law that God has written on my heart. Look down with me in, verse, in verses 9 and 10. We also know that law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, 
and unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. This is a list of several of the Ten Commandments, and they're good. The law is good. Notice what he says in verses 9 and 10. Those who strike their fathers and mothers. It's a violation of one of the Ten Commandments. For murderers, a violation of the Sixth Commandment. Thou shalt not kill. Notice the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality. People argue about whether that's right or wrong, but it's a violation of the seventh commandment. Committing adultery, sex outside of marriage, being wrong. And then he talks about enslavers, referring to kidnappers, which is a violation of the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. Liars, perjurers, violates the ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness. This, these were characteristic of the false teachers. And notice he says, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Why? Because sound doctrine, again, produces a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And if we have that in the church, we will have a healthy, mature, vibrant church that will impact the community for the cause of Christ. Yesterday we had the privilege of, um, Friday we drove down to Des Moines, Iowa for a Celebrate Recovery uh, seminar yesterday. We got back late last night and it was neat because one of the men got up to share. He was in his 60s and he, I can't even list all the things that he said he had done. I mean, he listed one thing after another, how he had just absolutely ruined his parents, uh, put them in bankruptcy. He stole from his parents. He was involved in fights and stabbings, and uh, he had all kind of addictions. And then he said he went out and purchased a bar. He said, that's not what you do when you have addictions. And, I mean, he just went on and on. But you know what? He now has a pure heart a good conscience, and a sincere faith because he bowed his knee to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a testimony that he can take a life. I don't care what addiction you have. I don't care how messed up your life is. I don't care what family relationship you are dealing with. The grace of God, when we embrace sound doctrine in our lives, will put families back together. It'll heal a broken heart. This man was a recovering alcoholic, and God absolutely transformed his life as a result of the gospel. That's what it's all about. And that's what Paul wanted Timothy to do, and that's why we proclaim the gospel so clearly, because that's what changes lives. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. As you bow your heads this morning, I just have a question for you. Are you embracing sound doctrine? Is your heart pure? Is there anything in your heart right now that you have a grievance against somebody in the church, 
outside the church that is soiling your heart. Disobedience soils the heart. If you have bad feelings towards someone, I'm not saying that they didn't hurt you and you don't have a reason to have bad feelings, but God can heal your bad feelings. He can heal your broken heart, and he wants to. So that your heart is pure. Do you have a good conscience? Are you choosing every day what is morally right? Kids, would your parents be ashamed or hurt if they knew some of the decisions you were making behind their back? Do you have a God consciousness, a good conscience that is distinguishing between good and evil? Thirdly, do you have a sincere faith? Or are you going through the motions of Christianity? A sincere faith is going to invest in other people around them to pass on this sound doctrine. It is vital that we do this. We have a generation of young people that was standing before us this morning, the next generation. We have to firmly pass the torch on to the next generation. And we need to do it with passion and heart and our example. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, where you know that you are a sinner and that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, and that by his grace, grace is something I don't deserve. God in his grace that is greater than all my sin will forgive me and cleanse me and give me a new conscience, a clean conscience, a pure heart, and a sincere faith. If you have questions about your salvation, your eternal destiny, we would be glad to talk with you See myself or somebody else after the service. We'd be glad to show you at God's word from his sound doctrine how you can have a personal relationship with God. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the simplicity of the gospel. Lord, we hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.